continuing our study here through Timothy, 2 Timothy. We finished up our study in Romans a couple weeks ago and went into 2 Timothy. Reason being 2 Timothy, if you remember from our introduction there last week, this is Paul's last epistle that he wrote. He's writing this from the Roman jail cell. His death is possibly imminent. And we know that he doesn't make it out of this. This is how he is uh, executed. This is how he's martyred and he goes home to heaven. So this is the final letter. And as you see this letter being written here, obviously it's spirit-led as the Lord is leading him to write this. But at the same time, you see the personal coming out in this. So we went from Romans, possibly his greatest work on theology and his desire to want to go to Rome. And now we see him in 2 Timothy at Rome. Sometimes the way we get to the places that we're going is not exactly the way we think it's going to happen. Paul did get to Rome. Paul got a chance to minister to Rome, but he got a chance to minister to them in chains. And as you go through this book, it's written to Timothy. Timothy is his protege. Timothy is his spiritual son, if you will. And you see the blessing that the relationship that they had. This is a very personal book. It's a very honest book. Imagine writing your final letter, if you will, to maybe one of your children or to somebody, a brother or sister in the Lord that you're very close to. And you'll see this as this comes out. Now, as we mentioned last week in verse 7, he tells Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear. Well, like we said last week, why would Paul write that unless Timothy was battling with the spirit of fear? Think about this from Timothy's perspective. He has a lot of spiritual responsibility. You know, obviously they're hoping and praying for Paul's release, but it doesn't look very good. There's a lot of fear there. There's a lot of concern. Well, he kind of continues that same mindset. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 2, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So once again, why would Paul have to tell Timothy to be strong unless Timothy was battling some weakness? See, there's an honesty in realizing that I'm weak sometimes. There's an honesty in realizing I struggle with fear sometimes. Timothy, don't be afraid. Timothy, stay strong. That's honest. But a lot of times we don't want to admit that, do we? We like to put on this facade when we come to church. You know, I know you're not doing well. You know I'm not doing well. So we ask each other, how are you doing? Are you struggling with anything? Anything I can pray for? Is there a struggle? No, I'm not struggling with anything. And then I think, well, obviously you're struggling with lying. I mean, because I, I know you're struggling. <laughs> Let's be honest. Fear. Be strong. Now, the interesting thing with this is, why does Timothy need to be strong? He needs to be strong because there's a few people here that's causing problems. Verse 13, hold fast, excuse me, back to verse 13 of chapter 1. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit which dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me among them who are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Aniphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, when there's no chapter breaks where there's no verses, you see the flow of this. Why does Timothy need to be strong in verse 1? He needs to be strong because why? There's difficult people. Verse 15, there's Phygelus and Hermogenes. Ministry is difficult. It's very difficult. At a pastor's conference years ago, there was a pastor that uh, made one of his message points this. He goes, being a pastor would be easy if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> you know, it's amazing how when we go into the world, we, we expect the world to be harsh. 
We don't expect the world to be loving. We don't expect the world to care. And if you work in a place maybe with not many believers, you're not looking to your co-workers to be your support, to be your encouragement. Maybe you come from a family that's not really strong in the Lord. You're not looking to them to lift you up. But then what happens, though, is when the body of Christ lets you down, boy, that hurts. That stings. Paul, by name, mentions four people here in the book of 2 Timothy that has hurt him. Now, I want to be careful. He doesn't go into details. You know, look one more time here at verse 15. What did Phygelus and Hermogenes do? They turned away. Well, let's build on this a little bit. Stay in 2 Timothy. Just jump ahead to chapter 4. We're going to talk a little bit here about a man by the name of Demas. Verse 10. What did he do? For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Okay, one more guy. How about verse 14 of chapter 4? Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. I don't know about you. I want to know the details. What did Alexander do that for all of eternity through the Spirit, his name had to be mentioned for causing harm to Paul? What did Phygelus and Hermogenes do that they turned away? What exactly did Demas do that we forsaken Paul and left for the world? But here's the catch. Always realize the details don't matter. See, we think details matter, and details don't matter. They don't. I'll have people call me up and say, Pastor, do you know what this person did to me? I don't need to know what they did. I can already tell. We just need to pray, and we just need to give it over to the Lord. Well, let me tell you what they did. No, we don't. We don't need to know. You're right. We need to pray. But just let me tell you what they did. Because we think the details matter. Because what happens is when we hear details, it almost justifies our case. Look at how they have hurt me. Look at how they have wronged me. So therefore, I have the right to be upset and frustrated and angry. So when somebody comes to you and lays out their case, one of two things is going to happen. One, you are right. You have every right to be angry and frustrated. That would tick me off as well. Or the other option is, you know, it doesn't sound that bad. Now, either one of those options is really not good. Because when I hear somebody agree with me, oh, that just gets me more. Right. That's right. That makes me feel better about being angry. And this is what happens. If they don't agree with me, guess what happens now? Now i got another person to be angry at. Does that ever happen to you? Your spouse comes home. I come home to dawn. I'm frustrated about something. And I, you know what this person did. You know what this person said. And then if dawn says, well, you know what? Maybe you just need to get over that. Well, now I'm mad at you, dawn. Because you don't understand. The details don't matter. What matters most is exactly what Paul says, verse 14 of chapter 4, may the Lord repay him according to his works. Let the Lord repay him. Jump real quick, if you will, to Romans, Romans 12. How do we deal with these people? Well, let's set our foundation right here in Romans 12, and let's come back and talk about each one of these guys. Romans 12, starting verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Romans 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For as written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, here's the thing. If we allow the details of what the people have said or done to hurt us matter, all of a sudden we're going to be overcome by evil. And we're going to go right down to their level. And that's what's going to happen. 
Now, keep your hand here in Romans 12, because we're going to come back to this passage. That's our foundation now. Let's talk about these guys. We don't know a lot of detail, like I said. Paul doesn't go into detail. Well, what did Phygelus and Hermogenes do? Well, it says that uh, they turned away from me. Have you ever had a Phygelus or Hermogenes in your life? You needed somebody. I mean, you were going through a tough time. You needed them. You needed encouragement. You needed support. You needed that. And they weren't there. Paul, in his arguably his darkest, deepest time of life, needed people. And Phygelus and Hermogenes, now they left. Boy, that hurts. You think you have something stronger. You think you have a better relationship. And you're let down by these people. Because they jumped ship when the going got tough. Well, what did Demas do? Demas says that he had forsaken me having loved the present world. Now, the interesting thing about Demas is he's mentioned actually three times in the Bible. We get a little bit more background on Demas. First time Demas is mentioned is in Philemon, verse 24. And he's called a fellow laborer with Paul. That's a pretty big compliment. To be considered a fellow laborer with Paul. Obviously, he was in the trenches with Paul. He was working with Paul. They served together. They sweated together. They bled together. They were brothers in the Lord here serving my fellow laborer. Next time Demas is mentioned is in Colossians. And it's kind of Demas of the greeting. It's almost like Demas says, says hi or something like that. Now in 2 Timothy, Demas left, forsaken me, loved this present world. Boy, that hurts if you've ever invested in a Demas. Because you were together. Maybe you discipled the Demas. Maybe they discipled you. You shared those prayer requests together. You shared that heart together. You labored together. You loved together. You had a vision together of what the Lord wanted to do. And you said, this is my fellow laborer. And then as time went on, the world, the dangling carrot of the world was just too much. And this Demas that you would meet regularly for prayer or Bible study or discipleship or encourage each other through text and phone calls, all of a sudden, you don't see him as much. Hey, Demas, where'd you go? Oh, it's just been busy. Then all of a sudden, you don't see Demas at all. And then you try to get a hold of Demas and can't even really get a hold of him. Demas has forsaken me as having loved the present world. Those hurt. Because at one time, there was a spiritual connection that fellow Labor, and you thought there was a closeness here that we're serving together for God. We see eternity. We're on the same team, the same page. And as time goes on, it wasn't there. That's the ups and downs of ministry. What about Alexander, though? Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You know, I would love to know what Alexander did. I really would. I told you the details don't matter, but in my flesh, I want to know what Alexander did. Alexander did me much harm. You may work with an Alexander. You may go to school with an Alexander. Dare I say you may live with an Alexander. Like, what did I ever do to make them this unhappy? What did I ever do to make them angry? Have you ever had that coworker? You're like, what did I ever do? They just don't like me. I mean, I, I, I'm not mean to them. What, what, you will always have Alexanders in your life. You will. And you will not be able to put your finger on, why don't we click? Why don't we click? And they will cause harm. They will be upset. And you know what? It will be the type of thing of just, they just don't like you. Now, you may find out years later why they didn't like you. But at the time, they didn't like you. Remember growing up as a kid, going to school, you always had that teacher. And you said, I just, they, that teacher just doesn't like me, right? 
You convince yourself of that. I had a teacher like that, fourth grade. How many people were in Deschler? Mrs. Stroh. Remember Mrs. Stroh? Now, hold on. I'm not bad-mouthing Mrs. Stroh. I know this is being recorded. Still scared of her. Um, Mrs. Stroh. I went through my whole fourth grade year. Mrs. Stroh didn't like me. I know she didn't like me. Fifth grade, still scarred by Mrs. Stroh. Carried those scars for years. Finally found out, decade plus later, that my mom thought I got too big for my britches in third grade. That she specifically asked for me to be in Mrs. Stroh's class. And that she told Mrs. Stroh, get him back to where he needs to be. I was right. She didn't like me. Because my mom told her not to like me. Now, when I go to counseling and I tell my counselor, my mom told someone to not like me. That's a true story. You can ask her about that. But you're going to have Alexanders in your life that you can't... What did I ever do? I mean, what did I ever do? I I don't even know what I did. So you're going to have Phygelus and Hermogenes that are just, you know what, you needed somebody and they weren't there. You're let down. You're going to have a Demas that you have invested in, you have loved, you have sweated with, you have labored with, and they leave. And then you're going to have an Alexander, you're like, I don't even know what I did. You know what? If you've experienced any one of those four, guess what? You have a tiny taste of what it's to be like Jesus. Because Jesus had that thing as well. When Jesus actually wanted people to pray for him, they all fell asleep. Jesus invested in his disciples and many of them left him. Jesus just had people that hated him for what? Healing on the Sabbath? Man. Now we were still in Romans. Let's reread our Romans passage now with this understanding. Romans 12. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. doesn't even matter if the Alexanders or the Demases, no one evil for evil. If you work with an Alexander and you know when you go to work and you're like, I don't even know what I've done. Every morning on your way, on your commute, you pray for him, you fast for him, you give them over to the Lord. God has already given us the answer on how to deal with enemies. You love them like Christ loves them. You pray for them, love your enemies, pray for those who despitefully use you. What next does it say? If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, verse 18 of Romans 12. You can do everything right, and the Alexander still won't like you. You can do everything right. You can make cookies every day and give them to them. You can pray for them every day. It doesn't matter. They may still not like you. As much as depends on you, you are just called to be spiritually responsible for your actions and say, Lord, I love them like Jesus loves them. Verse 19, what happens when it doesn't work and you feel that anger? Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but give rather give place to wrath for his written vengeance is mine. I will repay, says Lord. Paul, Paul could have done a whole lot more about the whole Alexander and the Phygelus and the Hermogenes and the Demas. He just says, let the Lord repay. Let the Lord repay. Verse 20, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, if we allow ourselves to go down to that level, we're being overcome by evil. And all of a sudden, now we're going to be like everybody else. See, God has called us to a different standard in this world. And what is that different standard? You know the standard. It's love. I mean, in John 13, Jesus made it clear. They will know you are my disciples by your love. First fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, love. It's love. We are different. We are called to a different standard than everybody else. We have different rules 
to live by. And sometimes my flesh looks at the rules of the world and it's like, oh, I wish I could play by those rules. But I have a different standard. Listen to what Jesus gave us in 1 John 4, writing through John. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this, the love of God, was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the appeasement for our sins. Beloved, of God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is just very simply saying, when you fully understand the love of God that God has for you, that then passes on to how you love other people. So when you truly understand what God has done for you, Lord, now I can love the unlovables in this world. And not only saying it, but doing it. 1 John 3, verse 16. For this we know love, because He, meaning Jesus, laid down His life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. I, I, I want to do it, Lord. I want to mean it. I want to say it. I want the real deal. I mean, I don't want to just sit there in my prayer life and say, Oh, Lord, bless him. Oh, Lord, love him. Oh, Lord, give him a good day. I really sincerely want it, Lord. And, and I want to love the unlovables because that's what you did. I mean, he hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I mean, seriously, you are going to be let down by Phygelus or Hermogenes. You're going to be let down by them. It's going to happen. You're going to have a Demas that you thought you were close with, labored with, loved with, sweated with, and they're going to leave for the world. And then you're going to have an Alexander. What did I even do to you? And Jesus says, can you love him like I love him? Can you pray for him? Can you fast for him? Can you care for him? Can we really do this? See, that's the spiritual. That's the goal. Now, what does this look like practically? Well, let's go back now to 2 Timothy and see what uh, Paul says to Timothy. Practically speaking, verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Paul basically says, hold fast the pattern. Basically, stay the course. Timothy, it's going to be difficult. You're going to have difficult people. You're going to have difficult situations. Stay the course, Timothy. Don't quit. Don't give up. Persevere. Boy, it's easy to quit. It is so easy to quit. We, we live in this society of where we just think everything comes quickly and just gets fixed quickly. The amount of time and energy it takes to grow in a relationship with Christ, it's a lot of work. Aren't you thankful that grace is free, mercy is free, salvation is free? Amen. Nothing we need to do for that. But to mature into a believer, that sanctification process is tough. To Lord, to be everything I can for you. But we live in this society where everything is just quick. The other night I couldn't sleep. I got up. It was about 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. And I tried to be spiritual at first. So I started praying for everybody. Just anybody came to my mind, just start praying them, okay? Prayed for everybody, still can't sleep. Listen to worship music. That's always tell people, listen to worship music, still can't. An hour has passed. Okay, I've prayed, I've worshipped. Let's see what the TV has. So I flip on the television. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning now, and I kid you not, every station was an infomercial. And you know how much I love infomercials. And every infomercial was on how to lose weight. And everyone promised like five pounds in the first seven days. So I figured up, if I would just order every one of them, I'd lose like 100 pounds in the first week. I mean, that's the way, right? And they all promise it. 
But everything is quick. I mean, I can eat what I want, when I want. And I'm going to look like that guy. How simple is that? Three payments of 1995. <laughs> I mean, it's simple. It's easy. You know, Christianity doesn't work that way. I mean, we talked about this last week. These are the verses of Jesus that we don't like to share. The path is narrow. The path is difficult. Few will find it. In this world, you will have tribulation. Paul writes in Timothy here, next chapter, all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. It's tough. And what happens is over the years, you run into somebody who's going through a difficult time. You love them, you pray with them, and you say, hey, you know what? You're off track. Stay the course, get back on track, or as it says right here, hold fast the pattern. Okay, so you know what? Let's get back in church. Get that time of worship. Get that time of fellowship and accountability. Okay, get back in the Word. Get back in prayer. All right, so let's get this. Let's do this, okay? So we do it. We talk to them next week. Ah, pastor, I've tried. Everything's not working. Everything's falling apart. It's one week. That's not holding fast. That's not staying the course. This has been said many times in many ways, that the Christian walk is a marathon, not a sprint. You know, the goal was to be like Paul, to say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Hold fast. If you're going through a difficult time right now, stay the course, hold fast. Because God wants to use you. Did you catch this in verse 13? Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me. Paul says, from me. See, God wants to use you. He wants you to be a light and a witness and an example to wherever you live or work, go to school. He wants to use you. You all have a sphere of influence. You all have a mission field. Now, I don't know how big your mission field is, and I don't know exactly where your mission field is. Your mission field may be your home. It may be where you work. and I don't know, but you have one. And God says, I want to use you there. I want to use you there as an example to people. Well, we don't like that, do we? I don't want that spiritual responsibility. But God has called us there to be a light and a witness. I mean, stop and think about it. God chooses to use us. He doesn't have to. He doesn't need us. How much easier and better would it be for the Lord to not use us? Oh, man, we just mess everything up, don't we? All the time. I've used this example with you guys many times before. If I'm working on a project and my boys come up and want to help, part of me just wants to say, no, no. <laughs> I could get this done quicker and faster without any help. The other part of me says, this is co-laboring. This is working together. This is setting an example. This is creating memories. You know what I mean? God wants to work with us. He wants that closeness. He wants that intimacy. He wants to use us. It'd be a lot easier to not use us. But he wants to. Verse 13, stay the course. You're setting an example. You are a mission field. Verse 14, how do I do this? That good thing which was committed to you, that responsibility committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Keep, some of your translation says guard. Aren't you glad that you don't have to guard that? You, you're, you don't have to. Your job is just to be faithful to what God has given you and keep it, guard it through the Holy Spirit. You don't have to carry that burden. So whatever mission field responsibility the Lord has given you through the Holy Spirit, lead that, do that, go there. And the beautiful thing about it is God's not going to give you something that's beyond the power that he will give you to do it. So if he has given you a responsibility, you stop and say, Lord, I can't handle this. This has been committed to me and this is too much for me. That's where God says, well, verse 14 says the Holy Spirit guards it. You don't have to worry about it. 
Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Help the Holy Spirit guide you. Too often I see so many believers carrying burdens of ministry on their shoulders that God has not given them. We can't save anybody. We just point people towards Jesus. We can't make a ministry grow and be successful. That's the Lord. We just be faithful to whatever God has called you. You know, one of the things I remember being just ingrained into me as a young pastor is that phrase, love the sheep. And that word sheep is both singular and plural. Love the sheep. That may be 300. That may be three. That may be one. You ever look at sometimes the most effective ministry that Jesus ever had was one-on-one. I've come to the conclusion a lot of times out here at church, the most effective ministry I have is just a one-on-one with somebody. A phone call, a texting conversation, a conversation after church. That's fruitful. That's that one-on-one, growing with them, loving them, you know, just trying to plant seeds in their life spiritually. Oh, just love the sheep. Hold fast the pattern. Guard what the Holy Spirit has given you. And stay focused on Him. And then just to kind of remind us, verse 16, The Lord grant mercy to the household of Aniphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. We don't know a lot about Aniphorus. He's mentioned one other time here at the end of Timothy. Just basically saying, greet the household of him. But you know what? Of all these people, Phygelus and Hermogenes that kind of weren't there when Paul needed them, Demas that left, Alexander that did harm, there's this one guy. This one guy that was there for Paul. Now, don't overlook this. He often refreshed me, verse 16, was not ashamed of my chain. When he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. That's a pretty big statement right there. Now, nowadays, if I have somebody that I know that is in jail and I want to go minister to them, I just simply get online, can find out where they're at, find out the visiting times of the jail, find out the credentials that I need to bring as a pastor to get in, Find out the time, make an appointment, show up, take care of it, etc. It's a lot of work, but understandably, it's easy. You know what I mean? You just follow the rules and do it. Now, 2,000 years ago, the word starts spreading through the church. Paul's arrested by the Romans. Paul's in some dungeon, in some jail in, in Rome. Okay, and then first, just get online, find out what dungeon and jail Paul's in. He has no idea. So when it says right here that he sought me out very zealously... I don't want to exaggerate this. I don't want to make this dramatic. But you have to put yourself 2,000 years ago. This guy shows up in Rome looking for Paul in a jail, a dungeon, something along that type of line. He has to find some way to get information from the guards. He has to beg them, bribe them some way. Then he has to be entered into it. And I'm assuming by reading in history, whatever, you're in these dark places. You almost envision him having this torch yelling out, Paul, are you here? Paul, are you here? He's not. Okay, go to the next one. Go to the next one. How many did Rome have? How much time did he put into it? I don't know, but you know what? Verse 17, he sought me out very zealously and found me. This guy was willing to do that. And while he described, verse 16, he refreshed me. If you've ever been going through a difficult time, you know the blessing of just a kind word in a due season, as Proverbs says. It refreshes you. It just blesses you. And you're like, okay, Lord, I can continue now. Thank you for using that brother or sister in Christ to refresh me. That's what I needed to hear. And a lot of times these oniferuses, they don't even know what they're doing. They're just loving. They're just loving. And I just want to encourage you. Maybe there's someone you need to go refresh. 
Maybe there's someone that people are ashamed of their chains and you need to go love them. Maybe you need to search them out zealously and find them and say, I'm here, I want to minister to you. This guy was quite the guy. This guy was so good that look at the end of verse 18, that you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Basically what Paul is saying there is, you know, Timothy, what this guy did. Don't even have to go into detail about it. It was so well known. This guy had such a heart of service and love that he could just simply say, Timothy, you remember what he did for me at Ephesus. Wow, what a legacy to leave. That Paul in his deepest, darkest time, that there was this one guy that showed up and said, I'm going to find him, I'm going to love him, I'm going to refresh him, I'm going to minister to him. Well, that's like Christ. I'm reading through John right now for devotions. And how many times does Jesus just happen to run into somebody? Just happens to run into the woman at the well. He just happens to run into and talk to Nicodemus at night. You know what I mean. It's these little God appointments that you run into somebody. And the Lord says right there, refresh them, love them, pray for them, encourage them. Or maybe it's the other way around. You just happen to run into somebody. And then now you feel refreshed and loved and encouraged. That's exactly what I needed to hear. See, this is part of being the body of Christ. It's part of that love because so often we do have the Phygelists and the Hermogenes that kind of leave. We have the Demases that just love the world and go. We got the Alexanders. It's like, what did I even do? But we still got some of these guys that the Lord just uses mightily and they minister and they love. It's like, wow, Lord, thank you. I want to be that type of guy to the body of Christ. You know, we're talking a lot here about persevering, we're talking a lot about staying the course. It's difficult. It is difficult. What we do every month out here, we kind of try to get a spiritual theme for the month of what the Lord has kind of laid on our heart. And for the month of September, it was this idea of uh, perseverance. And I read this quote by Charles Spurgeon I thought was really good. It says, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Okay, it it takes a little bit of time. It takes a little time. The 830 went right over their head. I said I was going to try it. I said I was going to try it at the 10, and I thought, well, one more time. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Okay, you'll get it about three this afternoon. So anyway, perseverance. It's not easy. It's tough. And you look at sometimes what the Lord has called into our lives. Man. So what I start doing is what I call comparative Christianity. I look at other people's callings. Well, they got it easier. Their calling is just flat. Their calling has like a little escalator that just takes them right up to heaven, you know. But then every now and then I see someone's calling that, well, it's up and down and mountains and river. I don't even want to look at that one anymore, you know. But it doesn't matter what someone else is called to do. It matters what God has called me to do. And I got to keep my focus on that. God has not given me a spirit of fear but of power and of love and a sound mind. Remember, a sound mind, a healthy mind, a spiritually strong mind. Right here, verse 1 in chapter 2. Be strong. Okay, Lord, be strong. No fear. I want to persevere in the Lord. So we put some verses on perseverance. I just want to read these to you here. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Have you ever grown weary? Oh, it's easy to grow weary. Lord, help us not to grow weary, but in trust in due season we will reap. 2 Chronicles 15, 7. But you be strong and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. James 1, 4. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, that is teaching me that these trials and tribulations are growing me. 
making me stronger, working out spiritual muscles that I don't want worked out. Hebrews 12.1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily ensnangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked for us. See, there's a race marked for us. God has not called me to run your race. He has not called you to run my race. Because the race that he has called me to run is the perfect race for me. Now, I may be envious of other people's races. <laughs> Some people may be envious of mine. But I need to run the race that he has marked out for us. Jump ahead real quick to 2 Timothy 4. We'll get to this in a few weeks, but it's a good time just to introduce this passage. Paul, once again, writing near the end of his life. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's a great passage. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. There's almost that joy of there's the finish line. There's the finish line. We've got to be careful as believers that when we start seeing the finish line, we don't let up in the race. See, we have a tendency to do that. As we see the finish line of life or we see the finish line of ministry, we start to slow down and take it easy. Finish strong. Finish strong. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. And then as I read that, I almost see Paul tired, worn out, physically struggling, but almost that sense of joy. I have finished the race. To cross that finish line and to be done. And to be done and to say, I finished strong, Lord, in you. Wow. Perseverance. What an example that was set for us through Paul. And always remember, as you're reading 2 Timothy, where he's writing this from. And I hope that blesses you as it blessed us. Marv, if we can come forward here for a final song. Let's pray this into our lives. Lord, help us to hold fast, to stay the course, to persevere through the Holy Spirit. Lord, when we run into these Phygelists and Hermogenes that have let us down, Lord, help us not to take it personally just to pray for the Demases that have left and forsaken. Lord, we give those over to you. And if there's maybe a Demas here this morning that is just feeling the pull of the world, let them know it's never worth it. Never worth it. And Lord, for those Alexanders, we don't even know what we did, Lord. Help us to love like you loved. Help us to look at you as the picture of the cross, to love them. Lord, and as we have a mission field that you have given us, help us to go out there, stay the course, finish the race, guard what the Holy Spirit has committed to us through the Holy Spirit, and Lord, be a light and a witness for you. Every day is a chance to refresh and encourage somebody and to love them. Thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen.